Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. <gasps> Presented by Luke's Pizzas. So don't do that for A. Thank you for the advice. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. Tell me more about these lizard overlords. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. All right, and we're back for episode 17 of the Bring Your Lunch Pail podcast. Had a little bit of a break there. We were a little busy with some uh, off-the-field issues, but we're back right now. Just in time to recap, uh, UW and Oregon, a lot of stuff going on in sports. Got a lot to catch up on, so I don't know that there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of housekeeping stuff to do right now. We'll get around to more of it later. First topic is the game of the game of the century in my mind. Washington, Oregon. Game day was in attendance. You got number seven Washington against number eight Oregon. Husky Stadium was packed. It was lit. Had the makings of a great game going into it, and I think it lived up to all the hype. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that it has easily been the best game of college football this season. So with that all in mind, Nige, why don't you uh, start Start us off by breaking down the game a little bit. Get us, uh, get us into the deep, the deep end with this this uh, rivalry matchup. Well, I think uh, I think just it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't be a home game without starting starting with the build up beforehand, going to the tailgate. I think things were things were buzzing buzzing pretty hard already there. I, I was mean, buzzing. <laughs> yeah, definitely buzzing while we were there. Um, that ended up being a really nice day. Was it? You know, sun came out. Was, yep. There was an eclipse that morning. Like all the all the stars and moons and suns aligning for the Huskies. Um, got down there. What we got down there at eight in the morning. It was as packed as I've ever seen it that early. Yeah, we were kind of late. Yeah, it seemed like it, it was it what was, it seemed like. Yeah, there yeah. was there was a ton of people there. I, I also saw some video or pictures from people just in general. Like that had to be the biggest tailgate at Husky Stadium ever. I, I think it was pretty packed in there. At least um, in the last 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Because, um, I mean, I, I, I will counter that real quick and say that uh, at least back in the day, you didn't have to have, like, the TIE E1 parking pass. Like, it was a little more open and accessible. So, true. but I would say in the TIE E1 kind of, of era yeah. is that, yeah, it definitely seemed like the most uh, packed and lit tailgate that there's been in a long time. Yeah, it was... Uh, Definitely, definitely a nice, nice showing from everyone. Everyone was was packed in, ready to go. Nothing, nothing too exciting for uh, food wise on this one, so I won't go too deep into that as I have in the past. Did a couple of egg bakes, breakfast time. Just kept it easy. Wanted to focus on getting ready for the game and not cooking the entire time since we had a little bit of a shorter tailgate. It was a twelve thirty kickoff. We yeah. had to focus on drinking. Like, yeah, exactly. Eating's a part of it, but it was yeah, more, more important. Utility. Eating was more utilitarian, not <laughs> yeah. so not so much art. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you, but I was buzzing all week getting ready for this game. Like, oh, yeah. it's been. It was uh, actually two weeks since we had the buy in between. But really, really the week of like every it's all all I could think about. I think on uh, hopefully no one from work's listening, but I don't think I did a, anything at work on Friday because my head was at the Husky game already. Um, but yeah, so get down there. I I can't remember a game, and this it's kind of weird because we didn't actually walk in together because everything was so packed. We were we had to kind of split up, but like 
just going into the stadium, like walking in and how packed it was already. Like we got there early and it was already packed and it just like, you felt the energy the second you walked yeah, in. It was different. Yeah. It, it felt different. And like we've been to a million games at this point, like something, something felt different. Like you kind of, you kind of felt the, felt something special was coming to, on, uh, on that day. So, I mean, it, it was crazy packed, purple out, electricity going on, like everything's buzzing and um yeah game and then the game game kicks off i'm i'm also i'm shocked that they didn't do a flyover i'm gonna have to talk to my people at husky stadium yeah i was shocked by that too because i was saying that all morning too yeah, i was, I was like, like i'm curious I was to ready see for what the, the f-18s like yeah let's, I was cli- let's bring out the big jets i was curious to see what the flyover was going to be and then there was nothing yeah i was pretty surprised that there was no flyover on it um especially since oh didn't even touch on the point college game days there uh, we didn't actually go to college game day, but um, went down there, or got up early enough to watch a good part of it, and had it on the TV at the tailgate. Had it on at the tailgate. Saw Joel McHale with his dog on TV. That was yeah. that was nice. Yeah, so got to got to hit the finer points of of college game day. Watch watch the picks. Watch everyone pick you dub, which um, I was a little little nervous about at the time of seeing that yeah, it's just bad kinda, juju yeah i'd never like never like to see that i'd rather have it be the desmond howard even picked the dogs i, I know that which was, is shocking also I, did you did you see that the video i sent you of him like on on live television shouting big Penix or big penix energy yeah they're just like i said i thought i thought game day did a really good job of really hyping up you dub yeah i think it was a good day to be said it said it all day and game day wasn't the one to really send it over, but it definitely helped. Good day to be a dog. Yeah. that's There's your title of the episode. Good day to it be is. a dog, bad day to be a beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. they were getting consumed. Game day. Yeah. Game day really hyped up University of Washington as a whole. Yeah. Uh, and fortunately, the dogs lived up to, to the hype. They end up winning the game 36-33. Yeah, and how, how many times did you see uh, Kalen DeBoer out there uh, candidly on camera talking about how they're not playing for clicks or any of that stuff? Did you ca- did you happen to catch that? I did. You didn't did see not. that? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I missed it too. I thought maybe that was uh, maybe that was just That's, me that missed that. He and was too we, busy glad-handing glad uh, Julio Rodriguez before the game, which I love. <laughs> yeah. That guy looks good in purple and gold. They got to get him out there more. Yeah, turn Julio turn Julio into a number one Husky fan. That'll help recruiting. Yeah, he looks like he looks like he could get out there and uh, run a couple plays. No doubt, he could definitely handle a few snaps. So let's let's get into the game a little bit. We don't we could easily do a play by play and break down the film of every single play that happened. And who knows? Maybe we will at some point in the slower seasons. We'll just uh, put together an episode where we. Uh, we've talked about this before and we really want to do it. And this feels like a prime candidate for it where we get the like game in 60 on YouTube and we break down the game and you can follow it along. We're not going to do that right now though. Huskies come out, they get the ball to start. They fizzle out pretty quickly on their first drive. Ducks do the same. We get the ball back strike first blood. Yeah. A couple, I mean, just classic, classic Husky plays. I, I think, uh, First big play on that was to Roma Dunze on a on a uh, offsides that we chucked it down, took a forty yard chunk, which uh, the Oregon Ducks hadn't given up a play of forty yards all season at that point, and we knocked it out on the second drive on them. So just strike early, show that show that we got it, and then 
the uh, touchdown on that play, which I think was either one play later, maybe two plays later, was to uh, Giles Jackson, uh, which was surprised to see him out there, for one. Didn't know yeah. he was back and healthy, um, and he was out there playing over Jeremy Bernard. Um, so... I mean, thoughts on that? I I know I know I yeah. was surprised to see him. Happy happy to see him. What like he was get, had some output. But I feel uh, like we got the intel on this after the game. I'm trying to remember if they said it on the broadcast when we watched the replay. But I think Jeremy Bernard was kind of dealing with a little bit of an injury. Not so much that he couldn't play because he's still out there on kick return, and he did have a wide receiver pass later in the game where he actually threw a dart to Jalen Polk. I got to imagine, maybe we can unpack this a little bit, but I got to imagine that Jeremy Bernard was hurt because Giles Jackson had a nice game. That was a good touchdown catch. He had another really good catch later in the game on third down, I believe, where the guy is just draped on him and Penix apparently has all the trust in the world in him and just throws a dart to him and blanket coverage rate converts so Giles Jackson had a nice game but he's not nearly the receiver that Jeremy Bernard is so I gotta think that that's injury related especially not to jump around too much but McMillan was healthy to start the game and basically lasted one drive maybe two but you still didn't really see Jeremy Bernard in there much especially once Jalen McMillan left that it seemed like Giles Jackson really took those reps so I think that was because of injury to Jeremy Maybe on Bernard. A bit of a pitch count, yeah. Because I really think Jeremy Bernard was only in there on that on that passing play. I don't remember seeing him out there on the one where he had the wide receiver pass. So maybe he's the only other guy that could run that. And so they're like, "You're coming out for this play, and outside of that, you're on a pitch count this week." Yeah, it kind of seemed like that was the case. But- Tra- tracking back a little bit too is that. Uh, this was an overarching theme in the game, and I think they should have exploited this more. But even the first play of the game, I think, was a 13-yard run to Dylan Johnson, and then they kind of fizzled out you know, on, on the next set. We had talked about this as a real sticking point to this Husky offense the entire year. We know that they can pass, but you're going to find yourself in games where you have to prove that you can run the ball. And this is honestly probably the best example that they could do it. Dylan Johnson, I think they had the most square game you can have. 20 carries, 100 yards, 5 yards a carry. They had two catches, too, for 10 yards, so 5 yards a catch. <laughs> 5 yards a touch. just 5, five yards, yards a touch around. across the board. So If you, uh, if you asked me weeks ago if uh, I would take that, all, I would say all day. Like Dylan Johnson, 100 yards. 20 carries like five yards a touch that's that's exactly the kind of that's exactly the kind of running performance that the huskies need like someone who's gonna go north and south and he he had positive runs he had negative runs in there like but balances out it he, was like very a, effective he had know? a lot he had a lot of i, I it would seemed say like he ran for 10 yards or he ran for zero like he also had he also had a, in my mind a lot of runs that were very like plus plus runs I guess is the best way I'd say it where it's like he has a little bit of space guy hits him two yards downfield but then he actually kind of spins out of it and falls forward for like six yards and that's the exact type of running game that you need out of Dylan Johnson you're not asking him to break 
He's not Ken Walker. You're not asking him to break like 40-yard runs. You just need to be always moving forward, move the chains. And he did that a few times too, especially in the first half. Like in the second half, the Husky offense got a little more stagnant on both passing and running. But in the first half, he definitely was like, oh, it's second and six. I get hit three yards downfield. I'll just kind of like move through that tackle, fall forward, first down, keep things going. I honestly thought that the Husky the, or the Ducks were asking and begging us to run the football. They definitely put together the best pass defense, and they have the talent for it. Yeah. So that's part of it. They put together the best pass defense schematically against the dogs that we've seen all year. They were begging for us to run the football. And honestly, I didn't think that 20 carries was enough for Dylan Johnson. There were a handful of times in that game. I'm sitting up in the 300 level. I basically have the all 20, all 22. I'm no football savant, but I'm just watching. It's like they have four down linemen and one linebacker. They're running like dime <laughs> defense. Numbers are stacked in your favor here. Let's exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's just like they're begging you to run the ball up the middle. And there was a handful of times where Penix kind of decided to try to take some shots downfield. Is like. I appreciate the confidence, and I know that you're the best. You and Roma Dunze are the two best players on the field, so you want to try to exploit that. But there was plenty of opportunities to run the ball more. And that was that was my biggest takeaway from the game, is that they were effective. They probably need to look themselves in the mirror, though, sometimes be like, we have to take what is available. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, I think that that's a little bit. I, I, that's a little bit of them kind of being so in their heads about we need to take chunk plays, you know, like this is our offense, this is our identity, like we take chunk plays, like we, ha- this is what what we do, even if it's open, like so Roma Dunze is open when he's covered with two guys too, sure. just as open, and we're gonna take forty yards at once instead of ten yards at once or whatever, you know, so. I think that's a big part, and it, I think if if the Huskies had lost this game, it's much like Oregon losing this game because their identity is that we're going to go for it on fourth and fourth and one, and so it's like we won because we stopped them on on their identity plays, and you know they did a good job of stopping us on some of those. Like this is our identity plays too, which is why this game was such a such a great game and very back and forth and like you know two great teams going at it. Like I, I love to hate on the ducks, but like they're good. They're a good team. They're, they have been for a long time. And, but I think, I think that's a big part of it is that your identity as a team, at least right now, when you have this quarterback and wide receiver or wide receiver combo of people, yeah. like we, we don't need to waste our time. Even if it's wide open for 10 yards, someone else is wide open for 40. And like, we're just going to take it. Cause we can have it. We're going to have, you know, I, I think I heard the the quote um, last week that was like Penix Penix hand or hands ball or tosses balls thirty yards like it's a handoff and it's like if that being that being the case like why why hand the ball off for for that free ten yards when it's almost just as free to take forty you know so and yeah. I don't actually believe that but it's you know it's like that's the identity of this team and so that's that's how you're gonna live and die and you lived. This time, hopefully you continue to live on that 
but like that's the I think that's the thought process behind yeah, it. Yeah, you know? I guess. And it's a little frustrating sometimes, especially when the middle of that game, when things got a little stagnant and you're like, you could go get the first down right now. You don't need to take 40. You you need four to get the first down <laughs> and it's right there for you. And that, so like, that's the part that. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to jump too far ahead. So I'll just kind of bookmark that point because it is a good point for commentary I have later in the game. But trying to be a little chronological with breaking down yeah. the game. Yeah. Is that so Huskies come out, they're fired up early, right? They get the stop. Things kind of pro- progress along. And like you said, Oregon tries to do what they do and they end up going for it. We'll just smash cut right to the end of the first half. First, in my mind, first real like game defining play. They go for it on fourth down to end the half instead of kicking the field goal. What is it? Uh, twenty-two to eighteen at that point, I think. Yeah, right. That's correct. I guess if we backtrack it slightly before that, I'll say is that yeah, just all over the place right now. But I guess right before that, Penix throws that pick. Yeah. Right. We we're up seven. We have the ball. There's like a minute left in the half. And the way that the first half went, there was good defense being played, but it did really look like both teams were going to be in scoring position basically every drive. Because outside of those first two like stops by both defenses, they basically scored every drive. They might have. I don't know. I don't have yeah. the stats in front of me. but I think they put up points on every drive. That first Just time. about every drive, especially because... Huskies were still running the ball at this point, so clock is clock is running. Oregon obviously was running the ball. They're very good at running it. And Bo Nix is a high completion percentage type quarterback. So clock is running. Yeah, I feel like they scored basically yeah. both teams scored basically every possession. They, they settled for one field goal in there, but Yeah, but scored. scoring but yeah, possession. Scored still nonetheless. Yeah. So Huskies have the ball with like a minute and it's looking like they're going to hopefully at least get into scoring position, whether or not they make a field goal or they fizzle out like TBD. And then hard, hard to know in live time, saw it when we watched the replay. He throws the pick trying to target a Dunze. A Dunze clearly slips out of his break. Otherwise, that's probably a nice, easy completion. Completely flips the game for the first half. Oregon has the ball in territory. They work it down to the goal line, and they decide to go for it on fourth down. I really did not understand that call. Yeah. I, I can get it later in the game. Even still, like, uh, I don't know. I'm a, I know that we're on the same page. We're traditionalists, kind of like, take points. Yeah, take the points. On expect the, that you'll on be the back. Road, take the points. Like, you've, you've, already, you've already shown that you can get down there pretty easily. You know, like, and games can change, but, like, you've shown you can get down there pretty much at will at this point against our defense. I would have taken the points if I were them. Yeah, instead, they go for it. Uh, I believe it was Dom Hampton does the smartest thing, does the smartest thing in football, which is that ball comes in, and he literally volleyball fucking spiked that shit, like, out of bounds. Don't try to pick it off. Yeah. He just literally two yeah, hands up in the air and six, slaps that thing into the third deep. row. Yeah. yeah. So, 
uh, credit to Tom Hampton because not everybody understands that that's how you make that play. But they decide to go for it. They don't kick a field goal. That was really, in my mind, defining moment number one. Yeah. And Huskies didn't really take that momentum, I would say, like fully into the second half. But definitely as a fan, I was really feeling there in that moment. It's like we go up by four, I think, right, 18 to 22. It's kind of a crooked score going into halftime. But it was like, okay, like that's something we could build off of. Yeah. Defense gets a big stop. And honestly, it it did define a little bit of the second half because Ducks were really good on third down. They were really bad on fourth down in that game. Yeah. And it really ended up being what? Kind of the story, story storyline there. Um, Yeah, I mean, on the note of Dom Hampton, who you were just talking about, um, I just have this in my notes here. Where was Dom Hampton in that game? Because I feel like that's the only play he made, and I think he had. I think he had a better game than you're giving him credit for. I just don't remember seeing him at all, and it was. I I remember that play, but it seems like this is the exact game where with him kind of playing in that nickel, like nickel safety, big, well, you know, big we've nickel. said this, we've said this before is that a couple, a couple things, broadly speaking about the Husky defense in this game. We've said this before, I would have thought coming into this game that Bo Nix was going to run the ball a lot more. I think I heard them say in the, in the replay watching it on the TV broadcast is that last year, Bo Nix had like 14 rushing touchdowns. And he has not ran the ball that much this year. No, but that's also because he got hurt in that last year in that Husky game in particular, right? He was nagging a bit of an injury. No, but I mean, but broadly speaking, is that last year he was a big time running quarterback for them. And this year so far, he's been a lot more of a just passing quarterback and not a running quarterback. I don't know. I don't have, like I said, I don't have the all 22 tape, but like we said before, like with the Boise game, is that Dom Hampton seems like the type of guy that will find himself, along with other people, find themselves in positions where it's like, you kind of have to play QB spy. He didn't run, so you don't see him making plays. Doesn't mean he's not doing his job where he's like playing underneath coverage and spying the quarterback. If Bo Nix runs the ball 10, 12 times in this game, like he probably needed to and he didn't do. Maybe all of a sudden you're saying that Dom Hampton had a really good game because he's flying up and hammering Bo Nix. I don't know. Possibly. Other point we said is that this Husky defense, I think they had an okay game. I don't think they had their best game. And a lot of it came down to tackling. And Dom Hampton was in that same camp. But he also made a few tackles that I feel like were very helpful. Is that Huskies had a lot of opportunities in this game where guy at first contact or like point of contact were there. Guys missed tackles. They did a really good job of guys flying in. Cameron Fabiculana, the guy that we like to hate on. Cam Cam Fab had the Alex Cook type of game. Which is yeah, I feel like why you have them on the team, yeah. you know. Yeah, they're not splashy plays, but they're the type of plays that help you win the game. Yeah, DB or linebacker misses a tackle at the point of contact on uh, at five yards, 
and then someone like Cam Fab comes in, makes a tackle, ends up being a 12-yard gain. That could easily be a 40-yard gain if that guy doesn't make the tackle. But they, yeah. so I'm not going to say that they had this like lights out type of performance. Guys missed tackles, but they did a really good job of making sure that big plays were limited to 12 or 15 yards and not 25 yards. Yeah. Dom Hampton had a few of those too. It's not the type of performance that is going to pop off the page. You're going to be like, wow, that guy is a NFL bound monster, but they made the sound plays that made Oregon earn every first down that they got. Yeah. I thought that the uh, awful tackling game, but also like you said, guys like cam fab cam fab in particular had a few of them. And I, I mentioned this to you because I said it during the game as well was that um, I think the first guy that I saw actually make it. Well, you tackle, say it to me during the game. Cause... Yeah, no, I'm saying I said it to you uh, when we watched it uh, that night oh, yeah, was yeah. that the first, the first guy that I saw all day make a tackle on oh, the first, yeah. on the first attempt was Asa Turner where he, he got someone just like five yard gain or something like that, but just actually tackled Bucky like on the first, the first attempt, and he had he had the the. He's uh, got his hand. Club. The hand, yeah, the hand in the cast, so he's got the club hand, and so the guy with one hand is the only guy that could secure a tackle on the on the team. But I do agree with you that there was a lot of touchdown saving tackles, which, much like the Huskies want, like I was just saying, want to make or get chunk plays in the air. The Ducks want to do that on the ground, and we limited that exactly limited that throughout the day, which is. So as much as as there were some really poor tackling, the uh, the team defense was was good overall, which I think is you know a testament to this Husky team. Yeah, honestly, and maybe we can fast forward to later in the game a little bit. Is that yeah, for the most part, this Husky defense they really limited the big plays by Oregon. Until about the end where Troy Franklin got that big touchdown. Yeah. Is that, for the most part, it wasn't always the cleanest performance you'd seen. But they really made Oregon, like, earn it through chunk plays. And like we kind of said before, they made them have to try to convert on fourth down. And that ultimately stacked up in the end to, yeah. to help the Huskies. Yeah. You you bend, bend but don't break all day long and yeah you gave up the one big play to Troy Franklin which it's funny because I was pretty respectful to most of the Oregon fans and uh throughout the day but that was the one uh I think Troy Franklin had a miss or something like that and dropped ball right before his big touchdown and I made sure to let the Oregon fans hear that how uh, what I thought about him and that he was trash and then, like a play later, he had that forty-plus yard touchdown catch on on a broken coverage. I'm not going to give Troy Franklin any credit. That was a, that was a bum coverage by the Huskies. Yeah, but, they they <laughs> they got beat on that one. I don't know yeah. what was going on there, yeah, but that was looked like some miscommunication with uh, Elijah Mitchell and and Don Elijah Hampton. Jackson. Or, sorry, Elijah Jackson. Sorry, Elijah Mitchell is a running back in uh, San Francisco. Um, but yeah, it looked like a little miscommunication there. But um, also on on uh, cornerback notes, I thought Jabbar Muhammad had a great day for the most part. He was really good. He got beat by Jabbar Muhammad on 
or Jabbar Muhammad by Troy Franklin by Troy Franklin on that one that they end up calling incomplete on the field, which is absolute bullshit because it was clearly a catch, and then they reviewed it, and it was that critical drive. Maybe we'll we should probably just start to unpack that because honestly, kind of said this before uh, when we were talking about the game is that we we could do a play by play. Honestly, the last like five minutes of that game, though, honestly felt like three hours worth of football. <laughs> yeah, and this yeah. is why, in my it mind, felt it felt like it, five years off my life. It honestly, it honestly feels like the game of the century because of the fact that the last five minutes of that game was just so crazy. Yeah. So before I get into criticizing Jabbar Muhammad, which Honestly, it's not even criticism because he had good coverage on it. Is that I, th- I think we should just get into breaking down the end of this game as best as we can off of off of our memory. Okay. So to set the scene, dogs have the ball and they decide that they're going to go for it on fourth down, right? Or we can even take it further back yeah. than that. We can take it further back than that. Is that? We have the ball on, on the goal line. On the goal line. Yeah. First down. And basically the dogs end up fizzling out. Yeah. Well, I think I think a major point there to to bring up as well is that you had the ball first and goal on the half yard line, and we haven't really touched on this at all, but Penix, which didn't know this at the oh, time yeah. in the stands. But when we watched watched the, the uh, watched the game, you know, in its entirety after that, uh, Penix was clearly nursing an injury, which I'm sure most of you know if you watched the game. He'd gotten hit a couple times. I don't know if he had something nagging beforehand or if it they happened said, during the game. What I saw, what I saw today was that he. They said it was cramping. Mm. Well, they said they were popping an IV into him when he was on the sidelines gotcha. at times. So maybe it was cramping. Whatever was going on. I think um, he clearly was in some pain out there. Didn't let him, <laughs> didn't let it stop him. But he was clearly in some pain, and so I think that also had something to do with the decision making there that was going on. Is that first and goal on the one yard line or on the half yard line? I think a lot of coaches, even if you're a shotgun first team, would probably just go QB sneak and get the half yard. Yeah, and, and you see that is that they said that Penix wanted to do that on fourth down. Oh, okay. He want, Penix said, let's go QB sneak. And they're like, you're not feeling good. Gotcha. We're not. I did not see that. So I, I saw. So, I mean, I think that that. Goes, I saw that on the Twitter machine today. That and I think that Penix that wanted to the, sneak it. On, I think that goes into the, down. I think that goes into the decision making, though, is that in I if I'm a coach and my quarterback's healthy, I'm saying go first down half yard line. Let's go sneak on the first play. And. When, we I know went he's wildcat. Not, when I know he's not healthy, what's the next best thing? Either a pass or wildcat. And so if you wanted to keep it on the ground, that that's probably your next best best bet. When, when McMillan has been in, this is the other thing. When McMillan has been in, we've looked good with the wildcat. McMillan's hurt also. So now you're down to Jeremy Bernard, I think. He might have also run this one, who's also nursing an injury. So you're down, you're like you're down a lot of guys there on on your potential play. Run the wildcat, it it gets shut down. I don't even know if it was Jeremy Bernard. Maybe it was uh, no, it was Dylan Johnson. It was Dylan Johnson running it. Yeah, and so 
run that, get shut down, go, and then to your point earlier, then we get to fourth down, and they ran a little, they ran a little read option, and it looked to me like Penix was told not to run it and want wanted to run it because it was wide open and that was his time for the keeper and, and exactly the the keeper was wide open for him on it and it looked like he even tried to like pull it at the last second because he wanted it and didn't have it and it got stuffed hey we said we said this though when we were watching the replay is that uh they gave the ball to tybo rogers true freshman running back who has had looks earlier this year but i honestly think that was his first snap of the game Ends up being a shit result. You win the game, so like all's well that ends well. But I do think though is that, like we said with DeBoer the entire time, it's very Chris Peterson esque, and you feel good about it. Is that is Tybo the guy that I want to give the ball to on fourth and the biggest play of the game? Probably not. But that's the type of shit that you can go back like whether it's later in this season or next year or the year after. Use it as a coaching moment. Use it as a coaching moment. It's like, hey, Tybo, like, I gave you the ball fourth and goal against Oregon. That's how much I believe in you. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, I had no, no, no second thoughts about it. Like, exactly. So, knew, knew Penix couldn't run it, and I knew you were going to run it. And get, like, and I thought you were going to score. Like, that's why I put you in the position to do it. Right. And like, so, so. If you're feeling down on yourself, don't because like, like I had the, the confidence. That's that, the yeah. That's yeah. the trust I have in you as a player. Yeah. So like, don't doubt me. I never doubted you as a player. That's why I put you in here as a true freshman yeah. to run the ball on the fucking biggest play of the season. Yeah. Okay. Didn't work. Doesn't matter when I get when I tell you it's your number again. Just know that Be I believe in you. It. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, like, and that's what good coaches do. Yeah. Didn't work this time. Would have been great if he did score but you know maybe the maybe the silver lining to all this is that when Tybo Rogers is one of the best running backs in the country you can look back at this moment and be like that was a good moment for staff and player to make a moment but ultimately they don't score Oregon gets the ball back which was agonizing at the time agonizing at the time really easy to be uh looking at the silver lining right now yeah exactly Exactly. be be talking about how they're fucking insane if uh if the uh, result ends in a different way but so Oregon has the ball and I'll be honest I'm already worried because Huskies Husky defense has been pretty good in this game they haven't shown me a lot to this point that says that they can actually get a stop without letting the clock run out because we're getting late in the game. Yeah, I they could get a stop, but it might take too much time. Right here is my least favorite play of the game, and we watch this on the replay is when they get to third down inside their own like ten yard line and. Granted, I'm up in the nosebleeds, but I've watched the replay now. We get the stop on third down. And Inside then they say, their 10-yard line. And then they say that Oregon took a timeout. Man, I I would love to hear from any fans listening that watched, that watched the game. Because I watched the replay afterwards. Dan Lanning is like 10 yards away from the referee, still running in. When the play is ending... 
Yeah. Or I, is mid-play. I would also just calling like a timeout to, to add more context to that too. It's like he is clearly running in there. Like that is happening. But like the fact that the referee sees that or hears it, I'm never gonna buy it. Because if you were in Husky Stadium on that third and two, you would know that it was 130 decibels. I think was what what the they were cranking out on there. Like they had it on the screen all day for especially on those big plays. So it's like it's 130 decibels, which I think is basically the equivalent of you standing next to a jet plane, and the crowd is going crazy like the play is happening like the referee is looking at the play not at dan lanning running at at them like i just can't imagine that they actually saw that it's complete bullshit like i said on on the replay like he's he is putting hands he's putting his hands up for timeout in enough time sure maybe but he's 20 yards down the field because they're on the 10 yard line he's on the 25 by the time he's by the referee the yeah. play is already like over. Like, yeah. the guy is getting tackled in the backfield and he's up to the referee, like, signaling time out. Yeah, I just. It's complete bullshit. It's complete bullshit, but whatever. They they get the timeout, phantom timeout. Naturally. Come back they, and run a much better play. They come out and run a much better play. <laughs> yeah. I knew it the second they called time. I was like, they're going to have a lot better play here. I think they hit. I think they hit the fucking faker, Ferguson. On the tight end, yeah, which we can get to that on on some sort of yeah, little some little some little uh, like RPO route where they got Bo Nix running out to his right and got him yeah got him loose on a little five yard five yard out and got the first down yeah, yeah. and then and then the Huskies are just really struggling to get off the field and that's where bring it back Jabbar Muhammad gets beat kind of on one of his worst plays of the game where they, which was also on third down. Yeah. Where they throw it up to Troy Franklin. The only criticism I'd give to Jabbar Muhammad if, is it, if I remember correctly, is that Bo Nix is kind of just throwing that thing off his like back foot. If Jabbar Muhammad could just get his head around, he probably has a pick on that. Yeah. Problem is, is that can't locate it. Troy Franklin Obviously, is a better receiver than Jabbar Muhammad is, especially when he doesn't turn his head. Makes a big catch. Keeps the drive alive. But, honestly, just smash cut right to the play of the game. I guess, right before the play of the game. Bucky Irving runs the ball up the middle on, like, second and eight. And, if I'm remembering correctly, is it Eddie Olfoscio and somebody else... They basically tackle each other. Yeah. When it should be a tackle for loss. And then he ends up getting like six yards to make it third and two. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who the other player is, but they ba- Husky defenders basically tackle each other when they have him in the backfield dead to right. Was it Braylon Trice? Probably. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. They, but get, it, they get it to third and two. And then MJ Ale or... Ulamo Ale. Our guy. <laughs> lunch pail dude. He really is a lunch pail dude. Yeah. Former offensive lineman turned nose tackle. And he has easily the best play of the entire season. Yeah. just No a- doubt in my mind, it is the best play of the season so far. Yeah. It's just one of those, it's just one of those, like, pure determination. Like, I'm just, I'm going to go win it. <laughs> like, 
I'm better than everyone and I'm going to win it kind of kind of plays. And I was like, begging for one of those. <laughs> yeah, it, the D-line didn't have many in that game. Let's just put it that way. But yeah. he... And I was hoping for more of a splash from him in that game. I'm sure he was double teamed all day long. Just like he was on this play. But this particular play, he just slides right through that, that double team and makes a makes a great play in the backfield. Yeah, he was a 350-pound nose tackle, and he looked like Michael Bennett just fucking yeah. sliding right between right between the center and the guard and just making the biggest tackle of the season. Gets that big stop. They go for it on fourth down. They try a little rollout play. Dog shit. Bo Nix sucks. Like, honestly, that's that's my real... If I'm, if I'm going to be just like a true Husky fan that's just an Oregon hater is that Bo Nix had a nice game. Doesn't shock me in the slightest, though. You he just was, have to get that guy to fourth was. down. Yeah. You just got to get that guy to fourth down. Like, the guy fucking sucks. As soon as, as, soon as there's some pressure in the in the game, get him to fourth down, get him to a place where he has to really be a playmaker and do something guy's going to fail. And you, yeah. and you got him there and give the Huskies the ball back. This, yeah, at this moment, I, I was pretty, you mentioned earlier, you were in uh, a little more negative space. I was trying to be positive. I was channeling my inner coach McDickin moments. I was telling the people around me, like, adversity equals opportunity, baby. Like, we're getting this ball back. Offense is getting it back with a chance to go ahead here. Like, I got no doubts. I felt a lot of doubts, but I was not expressing them to others. Um, But, yeah, get the ball back. And, yeah, I was I was doubting when they had the ball. As soon as we got the ball back, I was like, yeah. there's I'm saying, no... I'm saying I was not doubting. Oh, okay. When, Fair when, enough. Yeah. Once we had the ball, I already knew we were going to score. Like, I yeah. I wasn't worried. I felt very... Yeah. yeah. I felt very confident as soon as we got the ball back. It was like, oh, Huskies are scoring a touchdown here, and maybe we give up a field goal. Yeah. But I, we're I, not I, losing in regulation. Yeah. Like, we are... We are... Like, this is a good spot for the Huskies. Yeah. And they and then Pettix comes out and tries to throw an interception on the first play. <laughs> yeah, throws it. Ends into, up being a brilliant. Yeah, this when that ball left his hands, I, it much like it, now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of reminded me of was it two years ago? I I suppose with Dylan Morris against Oregon, when he threw it into triple coverage, and I like. I mean, obviously we weren't doing the podcast at this time, so I'm more talking to you, Luke. Like, if you remember this, where we watched that game in 60 or the game afterwards, and it's like, I'm just trying to see what he saw there. Cause like, I, <laughs> because, like, I remembered watching it in the stands, and it's like, I see that the receiver, I think it was Rome even, maybe was, or Jalen McMillan, was like, he's triple covered. Like, there are three guys there. And then, and then Demo just threw the ball to him and was like, I'm just... I'm just doing it anyway. And it got picked by two guys at once. I'm pretty sure the other, you know, <laughs> that sounds and, about right. Yeah. And so when that ball left, left Penix's hands, uh, like I'm instantly like thinking about that a little bit in the, somewhere in the depths of my head. There's three guys there. Oh my God. And then Culp. Nope. Polk. Gosh, why do I do that every time? Polk just like, I don't know what your beef is with. Yeah. I don't, I don't With Jalen Polk. Polk just like runs right into perfect, the perfect area goes and high points it. Like, Ends up being, even though there were three DBs there, no one's actually near him because he just like, and that was the the real thing. I feel like when we watched that the uh, 
the tape was on the highlight is that he kind of does a little like shoulder hezzy to towards the outside. And so the safety's never even looking at the ball at that point. I think he makes it look like he's going to keep running down the sidelines and then last second just turns up and like balls right on him, goes up, makes the adjustment, gets the catch, huge, huge play on the first, first play of that drive. And you're like, Oh yeah, the Huskies, the Huskies have the mojo right now. Like there is no doubt that we're scoring. Yeah. Here. And that, and there is something to be said there that it is a bad decision, I think, by Pedix. <laughs> Great result, bad decision. But there's something to be said about the fact that when you have NFL arm talent and you have NFL receivers, sometimes all you got to do is put the ball in a position for your guy to make a play and trust that they will be better than the dog shit dbs that oregon has they're actually not that bad but uh i think the safety's name is evan williams <laughs> yeah that's definitely his name yeah exactly <laughs> he went down smooth on that one because he, he didn't do it Sheesh. he didn't not do the th- usual case for evan williams necessarily but yeah well it depends on how much you drink yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah and then and then uh, i think play number two of that that drive was to giles jackson no, was no, there's was was only two plays. Was it only two plays? There's only okay. two plays. The, okay. other one was, the other one was Roma I thought, Dunze. I thought we ran one more in between there before that, but no, that was a two play drive. Two plays, and and I and I heard I heard after the game they're saying is that this is where uh, I do think Penix gets his uh, NFL credit. There is that I believe from what I've heard is that they were trying to run a screen pass to the other side is really what that call was on the play, the way they had it set up. And Penix came up to the line when they had it all set and saw what any half-decent quarterback should see, which is, I have Roma Dunze one-on-one and kind of checked out of that and told a Dunze to go run that route there. And he's supposed to run a screen pass the other side, sees the one-on-one, confirms it as soon as he gets a ball in his hand. Is like, I'm just going to go make an NFL type throw and I'm going to go put it to my elite wide receiver. Yeah. And rest is history. Yeah, I I said it to Zal in the moment of the when we got the ball back for the drive. It's like this is Panic's Heisman moment right now. Like if he if he does this, which I have all the faith in the world that he is, this is the tape that they're going to roll on on uh in new york yeah, and that, that last that last throw like and, i said the throw before honestly yeah not that good yeah not i'm, that, yeah, not I'm that not, good i'm real. just saying if it's it on this drive like this is his moment like there's gonna be one of those plays and like that's gonna be the heisman moment uh, like this is it like if the husky if it's like if destiny is gonna be on the husky side today and the football gods are this is Penix's heisman moment and i think that throw was it like the, the whole, you know, you talked about the check, you know, check into the throw to Rome. Like, glad he saw it because I saw it too. As soon as it was one-on-one, I was like, Rome tutty. Like, I, I said, it to, said it to the people around me that were, I was sitting by. It's like, there's a Rome touchdown right here. And it's like, he gets the snap, looks off the safety to start. Like, he knows where he's going off the bat. He's not, there's nothing said, else they, on they his They got mind. the screen pass set on yeah, the other exactly. side. Yeah, exactly. He's got was... the screen pass set. He's... He's, he looks he looks down the middle so the safety's 
stays in place and then just delivers a perfect ball to Rome. Rome, we haven't even we haven't even talked about Rome yet, and Rome had one of the best days I've ever seen from a receiver at the college level. I said it before, I'd still say too, is that Michael Penix is the odds-on favorite to win Heisman, and that's fair. It's a quarterback award, but. Roma Dunze had a better day than Penix did. I still think that, in my mind, he is he is the true Heisman candidate coming out of Washington. Yeah, and not I, not by betting standards. Yeah, but but just by watching the team, is that Roma Dunze is just on a different level, and it's a symbiotic relationship, right? Like Penix has an NFL arm and he makes NFL type throws. So a NFL type wide receiver is going to go out there and make crazy plays. Yeah. And, but that's what you saw on both of his touchdowns. Both of his touchdowns is just like, they're just back shoulder, back shoulder fades. And he's just better. (laughs) Most other wide receivers like even like Caleb Williams, you know, who won Heisman, and I guess he's ha- he's had NFL receivers too, in his playing days, playing for him. But you can't make those types of throws to any sort of player. Yeah. You wouldn't win the Heisman if you threw that to somebody else because they either wouldn't catch it or maybe gets picked because the guy just like yeah. really isn't in a position to make a play. Roma Dunze is different. Yeah, that guy is an absolute monster, and like I said symbiotic relationship they make each other better i just think that roma dunze gives michael Penix opportunities that even on this team would not be presented to him jalen polk's great they're not the same receiver yeah well i i think even on those plays it's like rome is so big and fast and strong it's like the the player or the person who's guarding him doesn't he doesn't even have time to like think to look back like that's why you can afford to trust and throw a back shoulder fade is because this guy's just focusing on like i have to do everything i can to like stay in position and like maybe at the last second i can turn my head around and try to make a play on the ball it's like but rome's so good it doesn't even allow you the time to do that and on that play he like he goes and just snatches it right by the guy's ear honestly it reminds it me back. of like julio jones when he was at his best yeah he doesn't and probably I, have quite the size of julio he's jones, not that far off but, though yeah but he's not that far off you're right and but it's more so his ability it's more so like his physical ability that he gets into receivers but then just has that like innate ball skills to like get into the get into the chest of a receiver and then just like turn away and catch the ball off of it like not on his body yeah reach up for it snag it and it's never and, a doubt most of the time you know it's yeah like it, when it if it hits his hands it's in him you know he's not he, there's never like a little bobble or it seems like like it's always it's it's in there he's he's snagging it his yards after the catch ability too is also really good, which yeah, we already skipped over the first half, but he yeah. had a handful of catches early yeah. in that game where just deep comebacks. Yeah, I, want, I wanted to give him his flowers and it's, I'm glad we kind of waited to do that because he, he has 
a huge moment there too at the or he has he's, that huge moment at the end. Like he had the a best. fantastic game. Like I could have we could have talked an hour that we just did only talking about Roma Dunze. Like he was all over the like field said, making big plays. Like I'm not a Michael Penix hater by any means. I think he's awesome and we can go more into Michael Penix too, but I just think Roma Dunze is the best player on this team. That's my humble opinion. And he'll probably get well, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll He's, see. I say he'll probably get drafted higher, but I don't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I think maybe a game not like after. That, I think a game like that really helps his helps his stock. I think he's a higher prospect right now. Yeah, I would agree. I think. But he's a lot prospect. changes. Yeah, it, the QB hype train. Like, we, I mean, we we don't need to get onto that too much now. We'll have plenty of time in the off season to talk about where these guys are going to go. But like QB hype trains always always get going where guy can go from a third round pick to a first round pick in a matter of two weeks because some because Mel Kuyper said so you know <laughs> and so yeah. they're like we'll see we'll see what happens with that but the bottom line was that you had your I think Penix had his Heisman moment a Dunze helps him out in the process yeah, Dunze is going for the Blitnikoff yeah yeah exactly and that and that and, was his Blitnikoff moment and yeah too. that was his Blitnikoff moment uh if you haven't seen it, go go look at uh, Dave Softy Mahler's page, or there, I think there's a couple of, like college football uh, Twitter accounts that that have this posted. But like, just a sick picture of uh, Rome after he makes that touchdown, throwing the hands up. Like, are you not entertained? Put it in the Louvre. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's what Softy said as well. It's like that. Just standing in front of 70, 75,000 fans, throwing his hands up in the air, like, are you not entertained by this? And after he just makes the biggest play in in uh, a long time for the Huskies, and man, what a what a cool what a cool moment! Like, I cannot remember a time at Husky Stadium that I was that jacked. It's been a long time, at least. Since that's happened, maybe maybe Arizona, the uh, Mason Foster pick, pick six that that was a pretty big one that I think things were were rattling the miracle at Montlake. I mean, there's been a couple of really big big moments, but like that one is another another big one. I'll say is uh, was Dante Pettis didn't he break the punt return touchdown record career record against Oregon? Yeah, at home. Yeah. But that one was that. That's a fun one. But we dusted Oregon in that game. Yeah. That wasn't a fourth quarter game on the line moment, you know. Like, yeah, still, still a big moment though. Yeah, like, still a big, still a big moment for sure. But that was a Oregon. That was a the small window that Oregon sucked, and we we were kicking their behinds in that, which is great. Still love it. Loved watching it on the jumbotron when they showed up the game again. I was like, oh yeah, that was great. No, but uh, just. The the atmosphere, the scene there at that moment, like things were, things were bumping at Husky Stadium. Like it was, it was rocking. I broke my glasses. I think that I was wearing my shades during that. Um, maybe yeah, it was because I was jumping all over the place and hugging strangers and and man, what a what a cool what a cool moment. And but then you but then you remember you look up at the clock and like you said before. Uh, we got the ball back with about two minutes left, and we scored in about eighteen seconds. <laughs> yeah, so, it was a two-play drive. Yeah. So, duck still <laughs> duck still had the ball chance to at least tie it, and I honestly wasn't that nervous 
during that time because I really felt like the the dogs were going to do something. At least put it to overtime. Yeah. Like, they weren't going to give up a touchdown. Yeah, I wasn't worried about losing at that point. I was more worried about going to overtime. And and they really didn't do any... The dogs didn't really do us any favors by basically... I said, this is kind of a problem all game, is that Oregon only has, like, one timeout left. They had a lot of opportunities early on this drive to tackle somebody in bounds and they could not make a fucking tackle. <laughs> yeah. Which was so every, every time, every time I'm just like holding my head, like, w- please just someone, someone grab onto an ankle and get, get the guy. Down. Just one tackle, one tackle to make them burn their last time out. Yeah. They made a lot of risky throws on that, on that drive. Like, Throws that very uh, yeah, easily underneath been, yeah. inside the boundaries with a guy there to make a tackle. Yeah, they did it all the way all the way down the field there. And like. honestly, they probably felt pretty confident in that strategy because they have a timeout in their back pocket at all times. Yeah, and that's by faking an injury. <laughs> which that's that's the realness is that I I don't know where my mental state would have been at in that game the guy fakes the injury right and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit didn't really matter because we never tackled anybody in bounds that it really mattered right yeah so but imagine if the huskies had actually made one of those tackles on that last drive where they had to burn their last time out and then was it ferguson whatever yeah. His name is fucking fakes the injury on the catch for back to back years. Ferguson wasn't the guy last year, but the Ducks have back to back years faked injuries on the last drive of the game when they're behind. For anyone who doesn't have context, same thing happened last year, and the player actually uh, admitted to it. Uh, admitted to it in an interview after the game at some point that he was instructed by the coaching staff to go down and fake an injury. And here we go this year. Same, same situation. Huskies go up late and what does Oregon do? It it makes me mad just thinking about it. Yo, yeah. That one, that one too was like so blatant because the, the tackle was so weak on, on it. Yeah. He barely touched him. He barely touched him. It's like he if he wasn't so infatuated with going down, he probably could have run that possibly in for a touchdown. Like he had the ball in space and the guy missed him or like touched his the heel of his touched, foot. Yeah, touched, touched his the foot. heel of his foot. That Ferguson guy's a big kid and he caught that on what the twenty yard line or so. Had to be further back than that because it was a forty two yard field goal. Okay. Well, that, so I guess yeah, yeah not not that that's far not off, that then. much further back. Twenty five yard line, twenty four yard line, you know, and so yeah, probably twenty five. And they, right? I think they gained a few more yards on the play after that because they ran one more play out of bounds, I think, and then and no, then, I, I think I think they ended up just like throwing it away on the next play. Okay, maybe I thought they had. I think that was their I last they ran two plays after that. I thought play. that was their last positive play. Maybe maybe you're right there because I know they threw one more out of bounds, but I thought they got one one quick one after that. Either way, poor, point remains the same. That dude, because you have the timeout in your back pocket, it's like if you just run through that, you're in the secondary like 
you, someone missed a tackle and you're running, like yeah. you never might know turn what into a 35 yard field goal instead of a yeah 43. exactly. Like I don't I don't know, and that's what you get for being a fucking bitch. Yeah, and it, it, for anyone who hasn't seen it, again, you can you can go just Google this Ferguson, Oregon, or uh, put it in on your Twitter machine, and this dude. I am, I am all for the, uh, like if a guy's injured, like be respectful, and hundred percent, you know, like, and I've been, we've we've nearly gotten in fights with Husky fans before over this, where they're like being assholes in the stands, and we're like, shut the, you know, shut the fuck up, like this guy's hurt, it, you know, like calm down. So yeah. like we've we've almost gotten in fights with our own fans over this, and but. In this situation, when you already knew, and like, not only do they have a history of it from last year, but like, this is a long-standing like SEC Georgia, Bama tradition that's been going on for years, where they fake these injuries in these in these crucial moments like that. Like, feel like Nick Saban started it. Kirby Smart was on on his coaching staff when that happened years ago, and it's like. Now you see it, you know, and then Dan Lanning, who was on Kirby's I mean, the guy, staff. The guy literally like, grabs, like, his left yeah. knee and then grabs his right knee. Yes. And then hobbles off. Yes. It's just dog shit. Go look up the video because the guy grabs both knees, hobbles off. And then you can also, uh, in case you're curious, you can look after the game. He was just fine and walked off the field. He had no injury. It was complete fake bullshit. He, nobody, well, apparently Penix was cramping in his rib cage, which maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But it was 60 degrees out. Anybody who's cramping uh, needs to be, you know, eat a banana or something. I'm not buying that. Um, and and you and when you cramp, you know, one's safe. <laughs> yeah, and when you and when you cramp, uh, it doesn't usually flip legs uh, as you're rolling around on the ground. Last time I checked. So anyway, complete bullshit. Like you said, I mean, yeah. it's just at the end of the day, it didn't really affect anything. Because like I said, it would have really made a difference if the Huskies made a tackle earlier in the drive, because then that would have been a free timeout. They didn't really need the free timeout because. If I'm remembering correctly, they had a timeout, and I still think that when you fake an injury like that, you should have to burn a timeout under like two minutes. Yeah, not not the rule, but it I'm pretty be, sure it, if you have a timeout, it should be a 10 second runoff or or a or use of a timeout. Yeah, and I don't have if you don't have one, they they then, won't do that because of player safety yeah. that you don't want people to like risk. An injury because they know that it's gonna. It, it's a yeah. You I, have to burn timeout. So like, I get that, especially at the college level. Point point is, is that if I remember correctly, is that that is the last like time, like time down or like positive play that it really didn't matter because I think they throw an incomplete like on the next play and then they roll the kicker out there and they have the timeout. So I don't think it really affected anything other than the fact that it just reaffirmed what I already know about Oregon, Dan Lanning, honestly, anybody that Oregon hires and we'll make it more about Kalen DeBoer in this moment is that again, this is why I like having Kalen DeBoer as our coach, just a real ass coach. He ain't out here trying to tell his players to fake injuries or do whatever dirty tactics it takes to win a game. It's just like, 
we're just going to play and be better than you. Yeah. And if that and and if we're not better than you in that day, then we'll lose. Yeah. And honestly, the yeah, Ducks but we're, not were resort to tag. Honestly, the Ducks were better in that game for the most part. They had more yards. They had more turnovers. More turnovers. They ran the ball more effectively. I think they had more passing yards. But at the end of the day, is DeBoer was the better coach. And this only feels like a microcosm of how he was a better coach. Is like this is the kind of coaching tactics that you're spending your time telling your players during the week. Is it like we need to fake an injury when when the game's on the line? Yeah. And DeBoer's out here telling his players this is like we're out here to make winning plays, and that includes throwing into triple covers with Jalen Polk with, yeah. <laughs> with the cover. <laughs> yeah. But no, I. All jokes aside, I, is that they went for it a bunch on fourth down. They didn't get it. They didn't do smart coaching all yeah. the way up to trying to fake a fucking injury and be fucking cowards. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I'm i yeah. very happy with... Uh, yeah, with our coach and uh, not theirs. Yeah, I mean, Dan Lanning will be gone probably by, if not by the end of this year, by next year. I probably, can, yeah. I'd... Oregon's a stepstone job, so that makes perfect sense. Yeah, he'll be he'll be back at I don't know Mississippi State or Arkansas, Arkansas, you know, something like that. He'll be back in the SEC. Ole Miss, yeah. Who cares? It, he'll be gone. But so we get to final play. We are we, you started off the pod by saying it. Uh, kick comes up, kicker comes up, forty-two yard field goal. Things are really rocking at this point. Everyone's going pretty crazy. And uh, kick goes wide right. And I didn't believe it. I thought it went in. <laughs> yeah. I I saw it, but I felt like time stopped for a second. You know, it's like I my eyes saw the ball go in front. And it's not by much. It, it was it was, a close, it was close. It was very close. And yeah, that's one of those if it's like, if it's five yards further, maybe it curls back in. Or if it's five yards closer, maybe it's you know maybe it's enough that it didn't curl. You know, it, it seemed like that was it was just a kind of perfect perfect distance for us. But I saw the ball cross the the yellow, and I was like, did my eyes see that? And I felt like time stopped for ten seconds, and then you you know, and I didn't hear any reaction. Didn't you know? And then I see the. I see the uh, referee walk out and then and signal that it went wide. And then, I mean, I think the entire stadium just goes absolutely bonkers. I, was, I couldn't even see the referees. I think my first indication is that I could hear the roar from the student section. Yeah. That was on the side where it went, went wide. Right. Yeah. Because I thought it went in. I was just like, I was expecting it to go in. Yeah. Because he had already made one from like 46 in that game. And it's a long field goal, and I've said this <laughs> to you before, don't trust college kickers. Never trust college so kickers. So that was kind of my point before is that I always felt confident after the Huskies scored the touchdown, or sorry, when the Huskies got the ball, I felt confident. I'm like, we're going to go score a touchdown. If they get the ball back, I feel, at least com- going to overtime. I feel confident it's at least going to overtime, but – that's the scenario that I want. I want them to have the ball limited time. If they need to trot their kicker out there, I don't care if it's a 23-yard field goal or a 43. 
guys miss. We saw that in the USC game against Arizona where they walked it right down the field and then they botched the snap and that's yeah. why he missed it. But yeah. things like, crazy things. It's called it's college, college football. Yeah. This isn't the NFL. Like yeah, there's not many guys that are really can be trusted in college when it comes to kickers in college football. So yeah, that was. I mean, and then it's just like what uh, the the old Mariners '95 thing, like uh, bedlam. I think is a a good a good description because it's just like you know everyone's going crazy. Obviously, everyone rushes the field, and uh, yeah, which I got, I gotta, I gotta say, <laughs> I gotta say, is that it was a really cool scene and roping it in with college game day and everything that's going on is that it's probably a good thing. But I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't say you can't rush the field. You're you're favored in the game. Yeah, but you're. You're favored. Already, you're favored. That's a you're favored by three, which is a toss-up game for Vegas's standards. And for one, it's rivalry game. For two, it's two top ten teams like that are one spot apart. So you're favored. You're favored in ahead because the AP says you are right now. Like I don't, I don't know. I think I think there was a. I think that was a great scene, and it was. The, the, I, I had, agree with. Like, I agree you, that it was. You a have great game scene. day there. You have the twelve thirty kickoff. You've got nationally televised. You've got two top ten teams. Like you end up on top. I think there was no other option but to rush the field if you're if you're down there. I know for a fact that if I was in the hundred level, I probably would have rushed the field as well. But uh, absolutely. So yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I was in the three hundred level, so hard to get down there but if i was down in the 100 level i would have been on that field so i i hope i guess what my point would be is that i hope that this will be a jumping off point for the huskies that you don't have to rush the field when you when you win those big you games. expect to you win expect those games to win those games yeah and and we're not at that point so yeah. i get that and yeah. that is valid and it is game day and honestly, I think it's a net positive for the program as a whole is that you want your fans to rush the field. Yeah. Create the environment. You did a good job of it at game day, and it followed all the way through. Loud crowd the entire game. Yeah, the purple out, like everything. You rush the field. That's the cherry on top. Good performance all around, fans and players alike. Yeah. But you don't rush the field when you're – I already said it before. I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. <laughs> I, I I'd be disagree. a hypocrite if I completely I changed my in mind. In that moment, you do. Like if you you don't rush the field when you're ranked number one and you beat number thirty, <laughs> you know you don't rush the field for that game. Or you're even if you're ranked five, ten, and you beat someone who's unranked. Like um, yeah, don't rush the field for that. But even if or if they're twenty five, let's say since that's that's the the marker. But like this game rivalry, I think you had to like the whole the whole Man, thing the was end of the, the day, whole fuck. thing was building up to it. You know, it's like the whole week was building up to it. Yeah, at like, the end of the day, the fuck the ducks. It. Like yeah. give them something to be angry about. Yeah, them and their diarrhea looking jerseys can go send their gas pumping asses or non gas pumping asses back to Oregon in those speckled diarrhea jerseys. 
They played like shit. They looked like shit. And they're fucking, they fucking are shit. Go, and uh, dogs by a million. Yeah, I really, I really wanted to talk some more shit to uh, Ducks fans. But if this wasn't expressed well enough earlier is that we don't we don't have tickets all next to each other this year and this is the first time in many years going to husky games that we haven't had the ability to all just sit next to each other because normally we just go sit where we want to go sit because there's (laughs) that many open seats i really wanted to talk more shit to duck fans didn't really have that luxury because i not that I ever plan on getting in a fight with anybody, but you got to at least have your posse with you if you're going to talk <laughs> shit. I can't be standing there with a friend of the show, Dan Parrish, just the two of us. But yeah, that's not your not your posse. My only my only real moment was uh, I think I told you leaving the game. Some duck fan tried to come up to me asking if I had a, a zinner for him. <laughs> yeah, you told him to kick rocks. I told him to fuck off. How dare you ask me for such precious gold, which I don't have. <laughs> but but it, we would have if we were sponsored. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. If Zen wanted to sponsor us, I would, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't give it to a Ducks fan, but I'd at least have it. But <laughs> poor guy coming up to me fucking stuttering, asking if I could spare a Zen. I told him to. No, sir. Get, we cannot. Yeah. Get fucked. But <laughs> yeah. But. Iconic, iconic win for the Huskies. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that there's, I I don't know. I I just don't think that there's anything that could take the wind out of my sails here, at least until the Huskies lose, which hopefully won't be for a while. Yeah. Not until uh, seasons from now. We'll see. Yeah. It was incredible day and, you know, incredible game, lots of fun and I mean, I don't know what else to say. Just sensational. Sensational. Yeah. Feels good. Kalen DeBoer, 2-0 and against the Ducks. That's how you keep your job, right? Yeah. I, no, no misses right now. Yeah. And honestly, I guess to put a bow on all of it is that felt this way going into the game, and it wasn't the easiest game. Said it before the season, too. This Husky team, like... They just feel like they're a national championship contender. Yeah. They are a playoff team. You have the odds on, the heavy odds on favorite for Heisman. It's only halfway through. Said, we've watched yeah. enough college football and we've com- commented yeah, on it before. Of, is yeah, that a lot of things can lot, change. A lot, of people, a lot of people win a Heisman in September or October and they lose it in November. So, nothing set in stone there, but... yeah. This is a this is a first for the hus for the Husky program though. I don't think the Huskies have ever had a Heisman favorite through halfway through the season. Steve Etman is the highest that somebody's ever finished in the Heisman voting. He was he probably came on late in that year. Yeah, or regardless, he was never the odds-on favorite. He was a he was an interior D lineman. Yeah. So, uh, new new ground for the Huskies and. Honestly, I feel very confident that Kalen DeBoer is the uh, the coach to navigate the ship. Yeah, I agree. I mean, all he's proven it time and time again at this point. So I, uh, I'm just excited to see what the rest of the season holds. And 
Hopefully the Huskies can keep up this, you know, it's got to be riding a bit of a high after that one. And so you got to, got to be ready for the next challenges. I got Arizona state coming up next week and should be an easy win, yeah. but can't be, yeah, can't, can't be caught be sleeping. Down. Exactly. Can't let it be a letdown. And that's, and that's the, the thing that I think is, uh, like you said, have faith in Kalen DeBoer. I don't, I don't think this team is coming sleeping to any game, <laughs> you know? So no. I think a lot, a lot of people say it and like, it's super cliche, but I think that DeBoer actually has this instilled in his players that it's that one and oh mindset. Yeah. That you're, you can't overlook any op- opponent every week. You got to go one and oh, and it doesn't matter if it's Oregon or if it's Arizona state. You gotta give it the same respect. Got to give it the same respect. You got to put in the same preparation. You got to show up and execute. Yeah. And I think the dogs will execute Arizona State <laughs> in this game. <laughs> I expect it to be a bloodbath. It it might be a little tough early on. It is a late game, but it's at home. On the road, I'd be worried. At yeah, home, home game. I, I, I like the chances. So fifty-eight fourteen. 5814 um I'll go I'll go how about uh 50 5220 okay so <laughs> good weekend to be a dog fan not such a good weekend to be a Seahawks fan unfortunately although I don't want to sound too pessimistic but going into the season I really felt like that this was going to be one of the games the Seahawks dropped. Don't want to sound make it sound like a cop out, but really thought the Seahawks would be basically where they're at at this point. They're three and two, right? Probably would have thought that they would have lost to the Lions and beat the Rams. A little flip flop week one. Probably lose to the Bengals in this week. You're right at the same place where you would have thought you were. A little depressing the way that they played just because of the fact that they had a chance to win defense finally looked like the type of defense that I think the two of us had expected all year. And honestly, the offense just wasn't able to really capitalize on opportunities. Yeah. How are you feeling coming out of this Seahawks game? Yeah, kind of similar. I, th- I thought the defense overall looked pretty darn good. You know, they they looked a little shaky early on in the game. Um, gave you know, Jamar Chase kind of looked looked like it was he was gonna make it a long day for everybody, um, especially the DB room. <laughs> and then, you know, they kind of they, they scored fourteen points right off the bat, pretty much. I feel like. Yeah, I think I think I heard that they had, yeah they they scored they scored on their first two drives. I think so. Yeah. 14 points. I think they had nine first downs on their first two drives. They had six first downs the rest of the game. Yeah. So you, you had, you know, things looked pretty shaky early on. We also scored on our first drive, I think. That That is honestly, I think, the most frustrating part of this game is that, again, this isn't the first time they did this. Seahawks offense looked exactly how I want them to look on the opening drive. Yeah, their script looked great. Script looked great. Gino looked great. Run game looked great. Yeah. And that was, was about the time. only time all game that they looked like they had a plan. Yeah. 
Yeah, once they once especially offensively, like the the defense, the defense. No, yeah, I mean offensively. Yeah, yeah. Defensively, they, yeah, they settled. They look like game. Bengals look like they had a game plan, and they came out and executed. And the defense quickly adjusted. Yeah, and they figured out how to shut them down. Obvious by the stat I just gave is that outside of the first two drives, they only had six first downs the entire game. Yeah, so they clearly adjusted and figured it out. Offense was unable to adjust to the defensive adjustments by the Bengals. Yeah, and it seemed like, I mean, number one thing that, and I've seen it a bunch today, is red zone efficiency. I think you were in the red zone five times and came out with ten points. That's just never going to be good enough. So That was horrible. Yeah, and and seven of those points were on the very first drive. So you were in the red zone four more times after that. Manage three points. Manage three points. So, uh, yeah, just a you know pretty dismal performance in the red zone, and I think all of that really has to be, or at least a large majority of that is on Gino. And Gino, I mean, he had he had his second worst game. I guess I I guess I could say the Rams' second half was worse because he had. No yards, basically, until the last drive of that that second half. But he looked outside of the first drive. I don't know, just like I, I'm not sure what it is, but he just he just doesn't. Uh, he can hit some of those deep throws. It seems like like he get, he had DK and Tyler down the sidelines a couple times. But for some reason, it's much like kind of the Russell Wilson era. Unless it's a dump off to a tight end in the short game, there's like there's not much of that intermediate game that I feel like was going to be the strength of this team. If you had, you know, it's like you have the guys to do it. It seems like in Jackson Smith and Jigba, he got a couple catches in that intermediate passing game, and when he got catches, he was very open and looked good with the ball in his hands. But you just it's just not there consistently and canine looked good. You know, he was, uh, he ran the ball. Well, Charbonnet ran the ball well in his limited touches. So like other pieces in the offense, you know, seemed like, seemed like they had decent games, but it just seemed like, uh, you know, crucial moment. You weren't able to put it together. Yeah. It, it really feels like in, in a game like this, that the offense still, just lacks an identity. I guess we are the uh, show of record of Geno haters. And so it probably feels like it's just like beating the same drum, but it just really feels like in my mind that it, it really is just Geno. Yeah. That the run game run game had ebbs and flows to it because there still wasn't really good blocking in certain scenarios. And it is an offensive line that is kind of patched together. And I think they've done well, like considering the circumstances, but nobody's confusing this offensive line with some sort of top tier unit. No. And I'll get, I mean, credit where it's due. The offensive line is banged up. And so there's, there's certainly going to be issues there that, but that's the part that I still don't understand completely, and that's where I kind of say the identity of this offense. It just seems like it's in flux constantly. 
is that I don't know if it's Geno. I don't know if it's the play calling is that if you have an offensive line that is not very good, which I don't even know that they're not very good. They're not great. Yeah. But I actually think the Giants, though, (laughs) but they've actually I think they've performed decently well. There's always going to be lapses on certain plays, but I think across the board that they're not that bad. It's that you have to know you have to know your personnel, though. Yeah. And we said this before, and this is where I kind of I guess my instant gut reaction is to rip on Geno. And there are some certain plays that we'll probably highlight as we talk about the Seahawks offense here. But you have to know that, like, your offensive line, they're not world beaters. So you need to, like, construct your pass plays to be a little bit more forgiving in that regard. Yeah. And I don't want to jump to the end here too much, but Geno, first drive, I feel like... You're on script, and they, and he comes out, and he does exactly what you should do with this type of offense and with the pass protection. Like, quick reads, getting the ball out to playmakers, being decisive, not necessarily holding the ball that long. Yeah. But as the game goes on, and he's shown this a few times, when the pressure gets a little higher, it seems like he's... It's kind of like how Russ was towards the end of his time. I was just going to mention this. Thing. You're holding the ball thinking that something is going to open up downfield instead of just staying within the offense, which yeah. is get the ball out quickly. You should have a good run game, and maybe they stop you on a few runs, but second, second and six, that's a win. Third and two, that's a win. What you can't do, though, is throwing complete passes or get sacked. And not all the sacks are on Geno. But it definitely felt like, especially as the game went on, a lot of them are. Yeah. You can't you can't get to the back of your drop and then like double clutch the ball and think that you're going to do something with like Geno's not that athletic. And Russ could get away with it in his heyday, but Geno is not that player. Yeah. It seemed like, and yeah, I mean, this is kind of fast forwarding, especially to the end of the game, but it just seemed like he was frozen in time in those crucial moments. And that's like, always what it seems like yeah. with him is that yeah. when the game's on the line, it just seems like I have this moment's like, too big. I have this image burned in my mind where it's just like he kind of like gets to the back of his drop and he holds the ball up like he's about to throw it, and then he decides he's not going to. Yeah. And then the pressure comes in, and he gets sacked, and be like, "Oh, it was bad pass protection." It's like it's probably a little bit of that. Yeah. But at the same time, you you need to get to the back of your drop, and you need to be ready to make a play. Yeah. It it kind of brings me back, and I don't know if this is a, the exact game, but like around halfway through last year, it's like Geno's on this like pretty big big rise. You know, he's having a really good start to the season, and it's like we played 
we played the Steelers. It was a similar type of game where it's this cagey, like, 16-13, like, something like that type of game. Are you sure you're not thinking about when he was subbing in for us? Or is that the game you're talking about? Because I don't think we played the Steelers last year. Did we not play them? Was that was that, that was when he was ago? in. That was when he was in cleanup duty and he got strip sacked by yeah, T.J. Right. Watt. I guess, yes, it, that's, I, I, that is the game. And he was in for Russ when Russ hurt his thumb but it's like that's kind of what i think about because it's like the exact same thing that he kind of does in these moments like this where it's like he played actually pretty well in that game throughout the middle parts it's like if you look at the stat sheet it tells you that he had 323 yards and like so the stats tell you that he he passed the ball well yeah. but it's high like, completion percentage exactly decent yards the stats tell you that that he passed the ball well but it's like when when the moment, you know, when the game's on the line or it's like the drive that you need, it's, he's just like, he freezes and like can't pull the trigger. And it's like, you, you That's can't, why I said, he's Kirk Cousins. Yeah. You can't in, you can't finish the game on, on a ball or on a play that you pumped, like you pumped it and then had another, you know, another split second and then get sacked on it without ever getting the ball out. Like, that's just not how, you know, that's just not winning football. Like, you got to, at some point, you got to trust trust what you see and get the ball out of your hands. And again, we've said this a million times, we don't have the all 22. So I don't know if someone was open or not, but like, these are NFL players. <laughs> you know, like, if you, if you throw a good ball, there's a good chance they'll come down with it. I mean, we just said it kind of with Penix, right? Is it, I'm not saying that, you ha- you I'm work- not saying you need to make risky throws all the time. But that's something that Penix has in spades is that it's just like, I trust my ability and I trust my receiver ability. Like, if I see something, I'm not hesitating. I'm trusting that me and my receiver are better than the defense. And that's where I see Gino, like, doesn't seem like he has that at all. Yeah. I mean, I feel like most NFL teams, like the the general thing they say, right, is like Mondays, Mondays, you know, film day. Seahawks tell the truth, whatever. Tuesday, Wednesday, you install the offense. Thursday is like all red zone. Like, what's the red area plays that are working for us against this defense? You know, and it's like game like that. You just you got smoked in the red zone. <laughs> you just got flat out beat. And I, I don't know because it, maybe it's not just the red zone. I mean, he got back. <laughs> But he got down the field, so like it's, it's not like he's not executing the two-minute offense. But it's just like two times, you know, two drives in a row at the end of that game. It's like they you had four plays, basically three, four plays where you just had because we got stopped on fourth down on the first one. Got the got the stop on defense, got the ball back on the punt, and then go right back down and get in the red zone immediately, and then get stopped on four straight plays after that. It's like. How is that possible? I, yeah, don't, I, well, just don't, I just don't understand. Again, we're just jumping right to the end of the game, which yeah. honestly, honestly, like we spend so much time on the Huskies is probably is the way to go about it because for the most part is that defense played great. I don't know that there's much to dissect with what the defense did. I expect that type of performance more moving forward is that Gino, it, it, it's the plays that you like, it's the plays that you miss that really define 
how the rest of your performance goes. It is just seared in my mind that Gino on that last drive, Jackson Smith and Jigba runs that like drag wheel route. He is wide open down the sideline. And we talked about this when we were watching the game. Saw saw it the second it happened. Got to get that ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba wide open. But Gino just has this weird tendency, I feel like, where the guy is completely oblivious to where pressure is coming from. And he'll stand in the pocket and not move when there's pressure coming in on the side where he has room to move to the, move out away from it. And he won't do it. Yeah. And then like that play where Smith and Jigba's wide open, he actually has a decent pocket. There's pressure coming from Charles Cross's side, but it's high pressure that's like behind him. And that's the time that he decides I'm going to read that pressure really quickly. And I'm going to like step up and then run. And he ends up running with the ball. Yeah. And it's like, all you have to do is stand where you're at or like take one step up and drive that ball downfield. And you have a touchdown and it probably wins you the game. Assuming your defense can do something, yeah. which based on the way they played in the game, feel pretty good about your chances putting the defense on the field with under two minutes left. Yeah. Doesn't make that play. He runs it. Yeah. He'd already thrown a pick on that wheel route earlier in the game. Where he just stared him down and it was in double coverage. Yeah. It's like, that's just two, two major misses by him there. It's, uh, you just can't turn the ball for one. You can't turn the ball over in the red zone. That's number one. That, that doesn't get you far in the NFL. If you throw no, it doesn't. And uh, number two is you have to give guys a chance. I'm guessing uh, all those playmakers on that team, whoever it is, they're like, if you were just going to stand in the pocket and uh, take a sack, then uh, you know, like, I don't know, give give someone someone a chance, even if it means a turnover, I guess. And I and I think that kind of goes back to his like wants to have a good, you know, low turnovers, high completion percentage, but like. Those are the moments like if that if that turnover, the turnover that he had at the in the first half of that game on the wheel route, if that happens in the second half or at the end of the game there, like, damn, guy made a good play. Like he's trying to get it out. There's pressure like that's a bummer. But to just see him stand there and get sacked, it, it just leaves a sour taste in my mouth. He also like right before that play. And like I said, I don't know, maybe, maybe our listeners are tired of hearing us rag on Gino, but I don't, this is what you get. (laughs) Cause honestly, that's, that's all I see is just Gino being dog shit. I think right before, right before the end of that, if you remember, is that he has the big throw to lock it to get us like into the red zone towards the end of the game where he actually does exactly what I'm saying is that he's been really dog shit at doing where for once in the game, pressure comes high off the edges. He steps up and he throws a dart to lock it over the middle of the field. Yeah. Basic ass shit. He finally fucking does it that you get this high pocket created, step up, make a throw. And then like one of the next plays again, High pressure off of his left edge off of Charles Cross. Cross picks it up pretty nice. Same with, uh, it must be Phil Haynes, I think, who's playing left guard in this game, which 
It's not his normal position. I think he did okay, though, yeah. in this one. And he clearly doesn't, he either doesn't feel the pressure or doesn't understand. And he tries to circle out to yeah. his left, and he ends up taking a sack for like 15 yards where it's like, you literally just need to stand where you're at. Yeah. And you're completely fine. You decided to try to roll out to your left where Charles Cross has rolled this guy, it, probably Hendricks, because Hendricks usually plays on the left tackle yeah. and Sam Hubbard plays on the right. And Hen- and Cross takes Hendricks out high on his pressure and like blasts him out high. And you decide to roll out on top of that and take a 15-yard sack. Yeah. It was like, I- what are you doing? Like, just stand where you're at. Yeah, I or step into the pocket, or, or step into the pocket. Yeah, but yeah, that that play that play is a big time killer because I think that was on that second to last drive, where you get down there and then you take the huge sack and then you get back down close, you know, close to the so it's like a fourth and one or something like that on the next couple plays and then you don't get it and then you stop them get the ball back. But it's like that play is just such a killer, such a misread. Like the, I, I feel like the only time any quarterback should do that like backside rollout is if it's a free blitzer coming at you because that seems to be the only time that that works. It's like corner or or DN that gets like a free rush on you and you feel that and you just give the little like step around and spin out. Like then that's okay because usually the person is so leveraged at thinking that they're going to going to you're going to step in and they're going to smoke you and then you do a little step in and then back yeah and typically your left tackle would be digging in on somebody inside so you already have that area pinched yeah exactly but that's not the case here yeah so then you have a cross is bringing the dn like high and wide yeah to feel yeah for him to feel that and then like spin out and and cross is already making the block that you wanted the whole time and has all day. You yeah, know? And, that, and, and I so, guess, and that's, that's the larger point too, is that does, does Gino not understand his own pass protection that's going on there? Because you should know beforehand, ideally that's like crosses on Hendricks here. That's his man. Yeah. And so you should know that he's like, obviously that's the way that Hendricks is rushing you on this. Yeah. I, is that he's going to pull him high there. Your outlet is not like high into the outside around your left tackle. That's just Gino. I I, I just fucking hate Gino. I don't. He's yeah. fucking sucks. He's just he he doesn't like stats wise. He's not gonna suck. He's just so middling. He's not a winner. You know, like I just don't. What's that? He's Kirk Cousins. Yeah, he's just he's just mid. He can put up he can put up great numbers through quarters one through three. But I would. Uh, much like we talked about with Penix, as as soon as the Huskies got the stop on fourth down and they got the ball, it was like dogs are dogs are scoring. They're like they're gonna be in a position to win this game. It will go to overtime at the worst. Yeah, but I did not feel that way at all with the Seahawks. Is like as soon as we get the ball back, is like even after he made the big strike to lock it, that is like we're eighteen yards away. I have no faith that the Seahawks offense is going to punch in a touchdown. And as much as we have ripped on yeah, Russell I, Wilson in the past, that was something that Russell had, though. Yeah. You felt like if he has the ball with a chance to take the lead, he will. And one thing I will say to 
counter us a little bit, <laughs> counter both of us, is that he had this exact situation against the Lions and won the game. You know, Lockett gets the he, he gets the same drive that he, we're talking about right now. Lockett gets the ball, scores with no time left, basically, and actually no time left. I think it was at zeros, and you win the game. So it's not like he's not capable of it. It's just, I just have such little faith in his ability to to execute it, and it's like that. What I saw in that game is exactly how I. It just validates how I feel about Gino. Is that in in that game he made the he made the play. He got helped a little bit because he against the Lions he gets outside, maybe gets a little hold on Aiden Hutchinson, and and then gets the ball to Lockett's hands. But at least he was decisive and like got out and got the ball in Lockett's hands. In this game, it's like standing in the pocket and you're just like pump, pump, sack. And it's like, I don't care if guys are covered in that moment. Like you can't get sacked on a double pump on fourth down. Like that just should not happen. I, I You got to make a decision at that point. If if the pressure's bearing down on you that hard, then you, you got to give someone a chance because you're not scoring getting sacked. And the pressure is coming from his front side, so it's not like it's like blindside pressure or something where he hits it, you know, hits the last step of his drop and thinks he has an eternity, and some guy comes from his back, like it's coming right in his face, coming in his face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so I, I just, I just think it's unexcusable. Like you gotta, gotta get it out. So thought it was a bad loss overall for the Seahawks because when you at the beginning of the season sure you checked it off as probably a loss but Cincinnati hasn't been the Cincinnati that you you thought prior to the season prior to Joe Burrow being a little dinged up and like sure I think they're you know I don't know if he's still dinged up or not he's not on the injury report but like they haven't been playing as well as you you'd think they would be and so I think you should you know you were in position to easily take it's a game where you held burrow under 200 yards passing yeah you had it's not like mixon did anything in that game you had multiple attempts to uh even if it's frustrating sometimes it's like that pick earlier on the in the red zone on the wheel route it's like don't you don't need to you don't need to no field goal field goal wins you the game field goal wins you that game so it's like you don't need to press that hard for it then it's like i it's a whole totally different thing when it's the last play of the game and you need a touchdown but like at that point it's like the nibble like your defense had already settled in the like nibbling and getting the field goal like yeah. is just you, satisfying and if, just, like, if all else if all else the, holds you win that game because you had a field goal earlier you just kick a field goal on yeah, fourth down especially with the type of football that you know this team is starting to play that it's more, you know, it is a bit more defensive forward and running forward. And so it's like, that's the exact type of game you want to be playing in. And I don't know. I think you you just missed a lot of opportunities to go steal one. Um, enough. I, we can say a bunch more negative things about Gino, but let's talk a little bit about the defense just because I want to move to a positive direction because I'm, sure. I'm sick of, sick of uh, saying his name at this point. Make it make some quick some quick love here. Thought uh, it was good to see Jamal Adams back. That was, that's he had one, a couple of nice plays. Yeah, that, that's one thing, especially on that on that last that last stop that uh, the Bengals or 
the last stop on the Bengals in the fourth quarter when we got the ball back. Jamal makes an open field tackle on a guy. Like, that's why he's there. And he's probably one of the best in the league when he's healthy at that exact play. Like, dude, one-on-one. Like, I don't know if I trust many more people in the NFL to get the, get a tackle like that on a one-on-one situation, especially... Well, except for maybe Devin Witherspoon. Yeah, except for maybe... Well, <laughs> Yeah, he he just hasn't had enough opportunities. I guess yeah. at it at this point. Spoon looked great again. That that's a positive note for sure. He had another couple pass breakups in that game. I feel like he was he had one that it looked like he was beat on Chase, but he was he was in the right position, right place, right time, and uh, ball hit him in the back or whatever on that on one of those uh, one of those plays. But yeah, he continues to look look pretty good. That was definitely a banner game for the defense, in my mind. Yeah. Against a Bengals offense that obviously is underperformed, but they are looking better as of late. But especially the especially the secondary. I was just going to say, like, it's exciting to see the secondary really coming into kind of what we described and hoped that it was going to be. It's like just a lot of versatility, just so many different guys that can make plays and like – I mean, spoon in the nickel. You now you got Trey Brown back healthy, and he had a pick in the game that was a really nice defensive play by Trey Brown. Yeah, and he also had one. a nice pass breakup late in that game too, where they went to chase, and he and he got the the PBU. Yeah, and honestly, in general, it's just good to see the defense too. Is that kind of like we said earlier? Is that Jamar Chase came out early on the script, and I was like, man, Jamar Chase is going to give us a problem. He basically didn't do a whole lot in that game after that, and testament to them being able to adjust yeah. and figure out how to shut him down because, like I said, they only had six first downs, I think, after the first two drives of the game. Normally you'd think that's enough to win a game. <laughs> yeah. So you give up 14 points early, and then you only give up three the rest of the game. That should be enough, yeah. and it wasn't. But yeah, I I think I think the Seahawks defense is starting to look like the the type of defense that should make you excited. Yeah, I get. I guess my biggest problem and why I'm bitching so much about Geno is that I think this defense showed in this game against the Bengals and they'll continue to show is that this team should be near the top. Yeah, of the NFC at least. Yeah. And I just don't know that they'll be able to get there with their current personnel, mostly at the quarterback, at the quarterback position. position. Mostly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, Spoon Spoon really looks like a guy getting Jamal Adams back. Didn't ha- like didn't have a ton of like noteworthy plays, but that's the whole point. They have a versatile defense. Yeah, it just seems like everybody everybody can make plays in that. In that defense, like saw Draymond Jones even get a sack in that game. I was gonna say, paging Draymond Jones, he's finally made it to the team. They finally, they finally found him stuck in the airport for the last two months. (laughs) Yeah, got got him a jersey and he got in there. Yeah, he was his flight got rerouted to Cincinnati two months ago, and he's actually just been wandering around. Just showed up for the game today, or Sunday. Yeah, he he's actually been starting to heat up, which is good. Like he had a play last week too, or two weeks ago. I guess we had a bye week, right? So yeah, um, um, yeah. So it's it's good to see him heating up. 
Jaron Reed continues to look really good. He had looks a couple, really good. He had a couple of huge plays in that game. Boye Mafe got another sack. Like he's looking. He looks really good. He looks really good. Yeah. yeah there's a lot to be excited about yeah. on the Seahawks defense, and there's a lot to be excited about on the offensive side too. Yeah. They just got to find a way to put it all together. I just, I really want to see jumping back to offense. I really want to see Jackson Smith and Jigba become a part of this offense. I think so. I can't remember if we talked about this on the lot on the last podcast or if we just have talked about this in general, but I thought we said this is that I really felt like that this would be the week that Jackson Smith and Jigba popped off. Cause he definitely, you know, he had the injury late in camp. You, you, you miss out on some, you know, chemistry type things. You work them into the offense and you feel like coming off a bye this is where they're going to exploit yeah. his talents and like the play calling is going to really open it up for him. Yeah. And I feel like in my mind, he, he had an okay game. I think he ended with, you know, four catches for like 50 yards, something like that. Yeah. So, which is, which is nice, which, which is, is not nice, bad, which is nice not bad, game. but it's almost more, it almost pisses me off more that in my mind, his, his stat line at the end of the day is interception on the wheel route where he's double covered and Gino can't even bother to look at Smith and Jigba anytime he's open and you decide to try to force it to him when he's double covered and you throw a pick in the red zone and then you don't look his way on the the other time you run a wheel route with him and he's wide open for the game winning touchdown. Yeah. I, so so it does feel like that they found a way to work him into the offense more. It just worked the exact opposite way that you would like to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I really want to see them get him some volume. <laughs> you know, that I think that's the cuz it just it, it seems like when the ball's in his hands when they find find a way to get it to him, he is he he's talented. You can see it. You see it in spurts, but they just, for some reason, just can't find a way to get him any kind of volume in a game. And I know the other guys on out there, I know Lockett and DK also deserve volume, but you got to you gotta find that inter, those intermediate routes with JSN. Well, the part that confuses me is, like, to rope this all together is that the biggest problem that Gino has late in these games, in my mind, is him just holding the ball. You already know that your offensive line is not all pro by any means. So in my mind, it's like one plus one equals two. Like you don't have that great of offensive line. You need you need to get the ball out quickly. You need to have receivers that can get open quickly in short space for like those types of throws, and that is what I expected Jackson Smith and Jigba to be. Yeah. Quick hitter, like quick little slant, quick curl, little bow tie routes, like yeah. some sort of like underneath seam type route guy that can present himself pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like he is those things. <laughs> and Yeah, so there's a, some yeah. sort of disconnect. Yeah. That, I mean, there's one of those plays in particular that – I rem- I remember seeing like them show it during the game 
Whereas like they ran a couple crossing routes on there. Oh and, yeah. And it's like he's just he's wide open the entire time. And it like and Gino's standing in the middle of the pocket and and I think JSN's coming from the right side and it's like this little crossing route and it's like from the time the ball snapped he's open and he's like looking at him and there's a and then at one point there's a linebacker there but the linebacker never moves so it's like you could have thrown it to him before or just anticipate it and throw it after and he has all the room in the world it's just like he's looking right at him and just doesn't see him and I don't I don't know what it is yeah, but I just, I, I, I just, uh, and maybe it's just something you know. Got to keep building that chemistry, and he's going to start to see him. But man, at some point, at some point, they're going to have to find a way to get him the ball. Because much like Spoon, you drafted Spoon fifth overall, and JSN's also he's what twentieth overall. Yeah, and probably in most draft years, he'd be a top ten guy. If he's not injured, maybe he would have been anyway. So, like, he's a super talented guy. He's a first-round pick. Like, find a way to get him involved. And yep. I know the other you know, the other two guys are also talented. But yeah. I'm not out here breaking down tape, but I, it, just, it, it just really feels like there's just some sort of disconnect between Geno and JSN. I know that that guy is open. Yeah, I, you just have to figure out ways to, I don't know, get the ball out of your hand and and make a play. Um, I also I do want to give some some love to another lunch pail guy real quick. Jake Bobo uh, gets another huge catch in that game. I uh, mean, somehow Bobo they the guy has couple the guy has like five snaps on the season. And he and he every has, time he touches the field, he gets a catch. Yeah, he's he's got more ten yard catches than Jackson Smith and Jigba does. Yeah, he he also so he had he had that one big catch that he got smoked on, but holds on to it, totally fine. What a what a stud! Also, want to give him some flowers for the uh, for the touchdown Walking. run for Ken Ken Walker, where they ran Jake Bobo in motion on that. And then he is the clear out blocker that that uh, basically acted as the fullback on the play, and smokes yeah. the smokes the linebacker like sh- hits him back five yards, and Ken Walker like basically bounces into Bobo's back three yards into the end zone, like love love Jake Bobo got can't can't give that guy enough shout outs love to see him out there. Hopefully that's the the big takeaway from our Seahawks critique is that. I really do still feel like that this team maybe this year isn't the year. They have a They're lot of the pieces. They have a lot of the pieces that in my mind would say like there's no reason they can't beat anybody in the NFL. Yeah. It's just finding a way to get all of these pieces on the same page. Yeah. At this point I think you just need to hope that Gino Gino looks like the guy he did in the first half of the season for the second half of the season. If you want that to be the case, because I, if he plays, you know, three and two ball, <laughs> I, the rest of the season, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen, you know, yeah, and, I think and, gotta, and who knows, be hot. maybe, maybe, maybe whether, people come back from injury on the offensive line or guys just really settle in to their positions. 
that all of a sudden they look like a lot more dominant offense. And I can see that scenario. Like, honestly, I think uh, Bradford, the guy who's been playing right guard, the guy we drafted out of LSU. Yeah. I think he looks pretty good. Yeah. He's, he's going to get beat. Right. Yeah. Like, he's a, he's yeah. he's a he's a he's a young player, but I think he looks pretty good. Curran, not so good, you know. But but he's good. He's good enough for a backup. You know. He's good he's, enough for a backup. He's a good enough backup guy. I mean, ultimately, you just want to see the O line get healthy and be. Able but to I get, honestly don't think they've been games. that big of a problem. No, I don't either. But I just think you want to see them get healthy so that there's consistency because I feel like that's. Any good team, it's just like the consistency of having the same O lineman next to you, day you know day in and week in and week out. It's like that's how O lines become strong is when it's the same guys that understand the strengths and weaknesses and where you got to help and where you you know like. So I think that's gonna guys switching around and moving from right guard to left guard and and everything else to try to accommodate injuries like. It's tough to get into a rhythm, and I get that, but, and I would never accuse Geno Smith of being the quarterback that can overcome those things. So I'm not going to start now. He's he's yeah. he's not that guy, and he he never will be. So as much as as much as I want want to see it, it's never going to be. He's never going to be that guy. So hopefully, the rest of the team can be strong enough that you can win despite that, and he can you know he can put up some stats. And be good enough to get you to where you ultimately want to go. Well, that's why that's why a game like this one against Cincy really confuses me. Is that I I know that we also had struggles running the ball at times, but you lose the game seventeen to thirteen. It really feels like a game on paper. That why didn't you run the ball a little bit more? Especially like Charbonnet. Still yeah. waiting for Charbonnet because Ken Walker, A, Ken Walker should have had more touches because yeah. especially the way that that game was going. Said this a million times at this point. Ken Walker's just as liable to get you a touchdown from 50 yards out as anybody is Yeah, on this team. Yeah, Ken Walker had 19 carries for 62. Charbonnet had two carries for five, which I think he also had a reception if I'm... Yeah, he had a Charbonnet had two receptions for fourteen. Yeah, that's just but you have twenty one carries between your two primary backs. Like Yeah. In a seventeen to thirteen game, I just I don't think that's enough. Yeah. It seems like he should gotta... be a run first team and honestly, you know, in a seventeen to thirteen game And you were never chasing that game, you know, that's the other th- thing. That's my like, point. Is it seventeen yeah, thirteen like a game? It's not like it. you were ever out of out of contestion there like yeah. the game is close and in the balance the whole time like why don't you run the ball is that Gino would probably be better if he could work off a of play action yeah exactly just give give those tight ends a chance to get open like that gets him in a rhythm you know and that's it seems like when you're when the team's really clicking is when when you can run those play action passes and like kind of get get a quick rhythm pass and get it to a tight end in, in the flats and, yeah, and you know and i mean we've always been big proponents of this is that you just 19 carries for ken walker for 62 yards or whatever when you're when you're that talented of a running back like he is 
you're only one carry away from busting one for 30, 40 yards. And now all of a sudden you're 20 carries for over 100 yards. Yeah. And Charbonnet might not have the uh, electricity, although I still think he does. I, say, I, I, I think he does too. But, but he brings... He definitely even his he brings two that carries smash mouth like he, even his two carries. I still think I can remember one in particular because you know I guess he only had two, but I swear on one of those he had a pretty decent run where he also just like again ran right at the defender. Yeah, maybe it was a catch, but runs right at the defender and just like knocks a guy over. Is like that's that's the energy that you want to bring to your offense. I I just don't know why they wouldn't. Yeah. Try to get them going more. Yeah, Charbonnet is the type of dude that's going to bring the game to you, you know, like or to the opponent. Yeah. And like, much he's like, going to run right into their chest. And much like Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, he's going to make them feel the tackle. Yeah. And you're not going to want to come at him again. Yeah. And much there. like Marshawn Lynch, too, he's the type of guy who can make a five-yard run be the game-changing type of play. Yeah. Go truck somebody and get your offense just, like, yeah, get, hyped get up. people juiced. It's like... You and you have that's the thing, too. It's like you have that in your receiving court, too. It's like DK can do that to anybody at any moment. Like, he's pretty good at barreling over people. He sometimes tries a little too hard. I wouldn't mind him just like kind of doing what Charbonnet does, just like barrel straight into a guy's chest and go straight down. It's like, but make him, but hit him, make him think about the next time they tackle you. Like, they might want to, they might want to try to arm tackle you a little more because it hurt a lot when they went chest to chest with you and so like and those are the type of things later on in the game all and of a sudden all of a sudden you, they miss something or you know they're thinking about it a little guy bit makes more. a business a business yeah. decision cause, yeah, exactly because he doesn't want to get trucked yeah exactly so i agree 100 percent. think think there should have been a bit more running in that game just especially since you were just never chasing it and just i think pete carroll is uh gotten much more um loose and fast with with some of you know offensively with how how the games are called and like kind of lets lets them throw a little more but i don't mind the sometimes especially in the games like that it's like it's the nfl you got a good defense like you can be a little more conservative and run the ball and you're just as liable to break a big play that way I mean, look at Oregon, for instance. Like they, they run that way all the time. It's like, and and who knows? Maybe, maybe this will be the game that really defines the Seahawks season. That Pete Carroll and and the whole team will look at that and be like, "All right, we do have an elite defense." Yeah. So now we're getting back. Yeah. Now we're getting back to what we want to do. Yeah. And what we want to do is play defense, run the ball, play action, take shots. Because Geno can throw a good deep ball. Yeah. Like, I love to shit on Geno, but, like, when he has the ability to stand back there and uncork it, like... Yeah, he's got a nice ball. The guy's got a, a good arm, and he has the ability to hit guys downfield. You just have to put yourself in a position where those plays are available. Yeah. And this was definitely not a good game for that. No, definitely not. So I I really do think, though, that the Seahawks defense is just scratching the surface. 
Yeah, it seems like I mean they just they're only going to get better too. That's it. they're just now getting all the guys back. It's like all of half of them are. This is what I said the entire time in the off season. Players, it's like the more chemistry those guys get, and the more playing time they get together. It's like Spoon's getting better, going to get better every week. Reek is still getting better every week. You know, he's still a young player. Like, and he still looks he's like a, he's tough to test. Like I said, yeah. he. Jamar Chase had a few catches early in that game. They figured that out pretty quick. Yeah. And Reek's a big part of that is that uh, there, there's just no real criticism for Reek right now. Yeah. He's, he's. I mean, other than he's learning every week and getting better and better, like, which isn't a criticism. It's more of a comment that, like, he's – I don't think he's even close to scratching the surface of his top-end abilities yet. And they already and, and, don't test him very much. Exactly, and it's already it's already yeah a guy that they don't want to go to. So I I'm uh, yeah I'm excited to see what this defense can become because it seems like they're making making strides towards being elite again, which is awesome. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about in regards Seahawks uh, since we've hit the offense and defense uh, real quick. <laughs> let's talk about uh, don't blink. Because <laughs> you might you might miss something exciting. Uh, you probably won't though. Yeah, I uh, I'm really worried about uh, our punt return situation. <laughs> it's not it's not a big part of I'm any really offense. They're gonna score a touchdown every single time that we we get it, and that the offense is not gonna have any ability to get into rhythm because DJ Dallas just takes Bont's house every single time. I mean, I honestly, with all the talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba and how they can't get him involved in the offense, like I'm shocked that he's not like the punt returner. Yeah, because every time I see DJ Dallas back there to return a punt, I he does the opposite of what I think he should do, pretty much every time. Yeah, or he calls not what I think he should do. He calls, what he should do. He calls fair catch when he has <laughs> acres of space. <laughs> what he has, what he has a five yard return. It is because <laughs> that's how fast he is. <laughs> he has five yards return guaranteed. And then when when he's completely smothered, he when, tries to catch the ball. And when the game is on the line, you have one chance for your offense. You get a ball in the 50 yard line and he's camped and the defender has enough time to run in circles around him behind him. And then he returns that one. No fair catch. Like, what is he doing, man? I, I, I don't, I don't get it. And then he somehow nearly breaks one in that game also, which I think if that's anybody with, with, uh, half a bit of giddy up that uh, that would have been an easy touchdown and the Seahawks win the game inevitably because yeah. of it. And, uh, and hence your comment before, like I said, is that <laughs> yeah. don't, don't blink, don't blink when uh, DJ Dallas is on the field. You might miss his elite return ability. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I honestly do not understand why it's, he's, I just, yeah, I just want I mean, to bring it up. To be fair, he hasn't weeks. dropped one yet. I know it, it seems like the, uh, I mean, he's he even got hit on one of those a few weeks ago, where it's like the guy hits him as he's catching the ball, and he's still so maybe he just has the best hands that I have ever seen on punt returns, and it's just he's just that silky with it that he's never gonna drop one. But I just am incredibly worried on the decision making that I feel like it's gonna cost us a game here soon because he's gonna. But also, just those. in that in that game, like we we're kind of joking about, is that. He had one nice return that 
if anybody else is in there. And I'm like I said, Jackson Smith and Jigba. If he if he's back there and has that same lane that DJ that Dallas has, lane, yeah. he's walking in for a touchdown. Yeah. Instead, DJ Dallas is walking across the fifty yard line and gets tackled fairly promptly when he has the largest lane that any punt returner has ever seen. Yeah. I uh, I don't know why you brought it up because it's, yeah, piss- just it's just pissing me yeah, off. I just it? wanted to, uh, I just wanted to wanted it on record that I'm incredibly worried about the uh, the punt return game and that I think it's going to cost us here soon. He doesn't drop it though. Yeah, he hasn't yet. Credit credit but to it, me but given. He is, but he is like the decision making is shaky and like I don't care that he hasn't dropped it. I think he's going to because there's yeah, just. Yeah, no I mean that's way, a good point. There's just no way to like play with fire that much it's like at the end of the game there it's like i'm guessing every single coach on the planet is like fair catch the ball and let our offense get on the field you just run out there and fair catch it and he and like they make a 40 yard punt defense gets down there no problem everyone's around him and and then he takes the punt it's like i am finding it hard to imagine that that is what is being coached and and told to him in that moment. So, um, hey, he's had he's had a handful of those too that I'm surprised he's not ripped off of punt return duty because most of the time you you make a dumb move like that. Yeah, they're like you can't be trusted back. Yeah, there. maybe you get one, and but I've seen a few of them already this season, and in what five games, he's been, he's done it. It seems like once a game, he's had one of those that I'm like. What on earth are you doing returning that? And also one that it's like, what on earth are you calling a fair catch for? It's like, it seems like there's one a game pretty much that it's like you had 20 yards before anyone was near you and you called the fair catch on it. And it's the second quarter. Yeah. And and then then he'll follow that up. And then it's like the fourth quarter. And it's like, we just need to get the ball in the offense and say, here. You don't need to make the play right now. It's like, we don't need the spark. From, from you here yeah. just also just dj take... you have no spark yeah exactly. so, yeah. so yeah. you ain't you ain't that guy pal yeah so i yeah i'm mostly just want to note that i'm i'm uh putting it on record that i am well once worried that... once d eskridge is back on this team we'll finally <laughs> yeah. we'll finally have a guy they could <laughs> return a putt finally some electricity out there yeah yeah uh Seahawks, they got. I think they got the Cardinals, right? Yeah, I think, I think it's so. a home game against the Cardinals next. I it's honestly a must win for the Seahawks. I don't think there's any bones about that. Yeah, early line here has them favored by eight. That's wild. I would hammer, <laughs> hammer. Arizona I would hammer that. the card. Like, hey, Cardinals. They're a scrappy team. Yeah, they've looked pretty good this year. Their record doesn't necessarily show that at one and five, but they seem like they've been tougher teams every single They're, week. Yeah, Rams ended up kind of boat racing them in that game, but it was definitely close through much of the game in their last one. But I mean, they should have beat. They lost to the Giants too when they were up by a lot. I think uh, I think it's going to be an interesting be an interesting matchup for us because they're 
they're averaging 141 rush yards per game. And we're averaging 79.2 rush yards allowed per game. Which I assume, I think they said during this last game that it that's first or second in the NFL. Yeah, well, James Conner's not healthy anymore. Yeah. So, maybe that goes down a tick. But, like, I'm, I'm just... Uh, Saying here, interesting, interesting to see uh, see if the Seahawks can continue to kind of keep on that path of stopping the rush because that was obviously a huge, huge point from point of emphasis for for them going into this season because they were the worst in the league at that and have been pretty darn good so far this year. Yeah, so, well, I'm honestly at the point that I hope that any team that plays the Seahawks will throw the football. I know that. I know that their pass defense was not very good, air quotes, to start the year. and that, But that involved the Rams and the Lions, who are both very adept at passing the ball. Yeah. I honestly think, and I thought this going into the year, Spoon has been, was hurt to start the year, and it's definitely changed since then. But I think this pass defense should be a strong strong point of the defense moving forward that I want I want teams to come out and throw the football now I know our de- our rush defense has been good but we haven't really faced a team in my opinion that has come out with a clear directive to try to establish the run against us and I don't know that the Cardinals are the team to do it but I do think moving forward is that the Seahawks, as a fan, I'm hoping that teams come out and try to throw the ball because that's where we're going to get turnovers because I have a lot of faith in their ability moving forward, assuming injuries don't happen. Yeah. All right, so score prediction for uh, Seahawks coming up this weekend. I think it's going to be a grinder of a game, and it's probably going to piss me off the entire time. So I'm probably thinking, how about 28-22? 28-22. Yeah, how about right. that? All right. Um, 28-22. I'll go. I'm going to say the Seahawks have a bounce back week. And let's go 35-24. Okay. Cover the spread. Okay. You got the Hawks scoring points then. Yeah. Got the Hawks scoring points. Offense bounces back at home. Cardinals. How many touchdowns does Charbonnet have in this one? Uh, Two. Easy. Great. I'll start him in fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Lock it in 100%. Still waiting for his first touchdown. <laughs> yeah. I've said two every time you've asked, so I, one of these days I'll be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not one. Yeah. It's not one. Yeah. When he not gets one. his first, he's guaranteed to get his second. Exactly. He's going to be he's gonna be feasting once the time comes. All right. Well, it was, it was a good day to be a dog. I think it's still going to be a good day to be a Seahawk pretty soon, but... Not this past weekend. I'll I'll just spill the beans to Nigel too. Is that I think uh, we we had a conversation with Tanner the other week about Mariners baseball. I don't think that's gonna make the air because we gotta we gotta dial in some uh, some audio stuff. But I'm hoping I'm hoping maybe by the next episode 
we're going to do a full recap of the Mariners season. Should be a nice week, especially you got dogs and Hawks playing Arizona teams. Hopefully they're both blowouts. We can just kind of skim through that, but Mariners recap is on the horizon. But in the meantime, we should have some World Series stuff to talk about at that point as well, maybe. Yeah, so. we, yeah, we can probably do a full check in on baseball. But in the meantime, dogs are the best team in the world. <laughs> dogs by a million. Seahawks are Seahawks are on their way to being the best team in the world at some point. I don't know when, but <laughs> anyways, that's all we got for you this week. See ya. See ya. We appreciate you all, so this goes to you and to the team for all the hard work we put in day in and day out. <laughs> we about to get it in, baby. Let's get it. You don't, baby. I'm talking about the dog line. Meet me on the 50 and it's going to be a dog fight. Ask the girls and you know they're all live. It's gonna be a dog fight.